Okay, this was a fun episode with Darren Ravel, the legend. We'll get that started in a second, but I wanted to remind you, these episodes are powered by SoRare through Rug Radio, and you can get 20 free cards today when you sign up and get your game going. It's a lot of fun. I play myself, play basketball, baseball. Uh, So click the link in the description and get your 20 free cards today and enjoy the episode. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show podcast. Today we have a podcast alumni, Darren Ravel. Darren, welcome to the show. It is always great to be with you, and I think I talk to you every day. So it's, you know, it's good to see you, but I, I speak to you every day. So this is not uh, a unique occasion. That's right. That's right. But usually those are uh, two-way, and uh, this is broad, which we love. Um, I've got something for you. I wanted to start this off with a with a gift. Um, oh, these, I love that. These these episodes are powered by um, by SoRare, and they're into collectibles. So, and you're into collectibles. So, I figured I'd get you something, a ticket that you probably don't have. I've I've I bet a significant amount that you don't have this ticket. Wow, let me see it. It looks. I'm going to show you in a second, but it looks like it's a Willy Wonka ticket, but it's not. It is a golden ticket to the 1973 World Series press room, also known as Willie Mays' last career game. Oh, that's really cool. But the thing that I love so much about it is that it's gold. And when you see it in person, it looks like a golden ticket. And for that to have a few different meanings, I thought that was right for for you. That's, 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 That's amazing. Listen, I love... I love oddball, I love different, and I love when even when you look at something that's now going to be 50 years old, that they took the time to make it great. That's, that's really some of the joy of, of, of some of these things. When, and thank you, by the way. Uh, you know, when you look at the attention that the Yankees paid in 1920 and 30, especially uh, tickets in Yankee Stadium that are boxing tickets, Amazing, amazing. The, you know, the the Lewis Schmeling uh, fight is just like you look at it and you're like, this is a piece of art. You know, uh, the Yankees and the Cubs, you know, whoever was doing those tickets back then all the way up to the 50s uh, really took some pride in making it different and making it a piece of art. And I doubt that person is a lot. These people are alive today, but as a ticket collector, I really appreciate them. Totally. Old tickets are beautiful. And most people really didn't, uh, obviously because of the pop counts on some of the most iconic events in world history, there are so few, but, and I guess this might be a good question is how many people do you think kept them at the time versus what the current pop counts are today? And did people at the time of those events cherish it more than the pop population count for those that don't know would suggest did today? I mean, the discourse about the back end of tickets is one of the most fascinating things to me. Why did people keep a ticket? Why did they not? And over generations, how did that go down? So, you know, you think about the Don Larson perfect game where there's like 200 of them, which for a 1956 ticket is remarkable. Like, how is that possible? Well, unlike baseball cards, it's like your grandfather said, do not throw this out. This was immediately put in a scrapbook. 
at the time it was known how significant it was and it was passed on in generations your grandfather was at this game and then you have scenarios so you know like it starts with the general population of people who was at the game how many people were at the game and even what the distribution of crowd is based on the fans michael jordan over craig elo the shot one of the th- one of the events that's called the shot i know there are many but 99.9% of people in richfield coliseum in ohio were cavs fans and so I doubt that there were 25 remaining tickets the next day. Uh, then, you know, Bartman, Bartman, where the Bartman, 2003 NLCS. It's an NLCS game. Yeah. So you, 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 and then what, what type of event is it? So like people keep Super Bowl tickets, people keep World Series tickets, but even an NLCS game, which has more importance than a regular season game, it's like, Bartman, like you don't want that curse of a ticket in your house, and that that becomes, you know, you know, and 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 I'll tell the most fascinating one. Uh, do you know about the Michael Jordan shrug game population? What's the nuance with that population? The population is ridiculous, like a hundred or maybe more, and. And I was like, wow, when I, when I first started collecting tickets, I was like, why would the shrug game be so cheap? Now, you know, it is an NBA finals game, uh, but it's like, why would the shrug game be so cheap? And the answer is this. The tickets looked nice or Jordan was on the ticket? What was it? No, it has nothing to do with the ticket itself. It has to do with the ads that were on the back of the ticket. <laughs> So they were playing the Portland Trailblazers, and I believe, if I'm recalling correctly, if the Bulls scored a certain number of points, you got a free Pizza Hut pizza. And if the Bulls held their opponents to a certain number of points, you got you got to go to White Hen Pantry, which is like the as a guy who lives in Chicago for four years, it's like Seven Eleven, but the logo is a white hen. It's really unappealing and very, from a branding standpoint, very weird. Uh, but White Hen Pantry would give you a Illinois lottery ticket. Both were, I think it was like Bulls one twenty one, Trailblazers eighty nine. Both conditions worked, and then people gave their tickets to both White Hen Pantry and Pizza Hut. And apparently at the time, and this was told to me, hopefully the game of telephone works through Andrew Goldberg, who's the Jordan ticket collector, that, you know, someone went to both and there was a a bucket of tickets that were not thrown out that were collected at the time. And somehow it lasted through to ticket collecting. And that is why the shrug game only costs 350 bucks and not what you would think 2,500. That's pretty amazing. And then you have what I imagine is the most widely regarded, uh, famous, most expensive ticket, the Jackie Robinson debut, right? At the time, obviously, the reason that game was so significant is because what he did had not been done before. And a lot of people were upset about it. Therefore, how could a few, you know, conditions apply over that period of time? A, people kept it. And B, it survived. And how many, I mean, there are only... Less than a dozen I think, of that ticket? I th- yeah, I think seven or eight. Now, what's interesting to me is like, so so I love the ticket uh, conversation, obviously. I'm big into it. 
I don't necessarily subscribe to the debut is a rookie card. As more people, card people, have gotten into it, that's what they like. Uh, there are a couple debuts that I think are undisputably collectible. Uh, you know, Jackie, uh, Jordan, LeBron, uh, Bo Jackson. Like, you know, some the, the ones that I think that you knew at the time they were big. Now, the, the, the ticket collectors who are card people say, well, what's great about it is you didn't know at the time. And they love the scarcity and they love the... I'm so much more into moments because I use the, since cards don't have moments, I use the moments to say, oh my God, I was here at this time. Like, especially in COVID, when we needed to go back into our memory bank because we had no joy because we were sitting in our houses all day, right? Like we needed to jog our memories and make ourselves smile. And like, man, I remember where I was during the NBA finals with the Rockets and the Knicks and the OJ Simpson car chase at halftime. And I mean, yeah, I remember where I was when this or that, or as opening day comes, you know, my only championship. What a, what a horrible thing for a person to be 44 years old and have one sole championship. But you know, Buckner, the ball goes through Buckner's legs and game six of the 86 world series. To have that ticket, you know, so for me, it's not debuts, but I understand the want for scarcity. And I, I do I do love scarcity in general on tickets and that they're kind of natural weeded down scarcity from them not being around instead of false scarcity, which, OK, in some cases, obviously your mother threw out the cards, but false scarcity in modern tickets where it's like it's the only differentiation on scarcity is how many how PSA decides to rate them. That's how scarcity comes about. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I know from us talking every day for like the last five years that we think alike in terms of just historically significant moments, things that are a part of history. Um, you know, I think when things are made to be collected, that often takes a lot of that out of it, right? That's why, you know, like, the one-of-one one documents and uh, art, and those are the sorts of things that tend to set the all-time records. Game-worn memorabilia from an iconic game, like those are the things that set the all-time records, not things that are mass-produced, obviously. Um, how, how, what does your research process look like now as opposed to when you were last on? I think the last time you were on was the Pop-Up Bagels episode, but the one before that. <laughs> Has, has any of your research changed in terms of how you're looking for those, you know, iconic world events uh, and everything that falls into those? No, I mean, I mean, you know, using newspapers.com, using everything that I can, you know, making sure I know where, uh, where, what's going on in every auction, just trying to find inefficiencies and arbitrage, um, you know, uh, and it's interesting, nothing, you know, I'm still, everything that I've gone into, I haven't really gotten out of. There's no mistakes that I've made in terms of like, at one point I researched it and now I'm not as comfortable with it. I still love um, the sealed rubber LG, LJN wrestlers. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I, I think that that's a, a big one. I actually, you know, VHS was an interesting one for me. Uh, it's always hard when you get into something to know the market of the people who are in it. And I think it's the least, uh, it's, it's what people least pay attention to. 
and it's very important. So who is in your market? Um, and I always say this, it's not just the player. Uh, like if you're a 50-year-old who starts to get into Luka Doncic modern rookies, you need to know that that uh, over-indexes into younger people who might not have the same cash because if you they can't hold on for as long as you can, and that will affect your price. So I think you always need to have your head on a swivel and know the market. I think in the VHS market, there were like 10 serious collectors. And they were buying everything. And that's why that market at least has slowed down because I don't think the mass has come to it. In tickets, it has. I don't think with VHS. So that wasn't something I I just had the hunch. I loved the idea of, you know, basically uh, small movie posters on an outdated piece of technology. Obviously, ceiling provides the scarcity. But at the end of the day, I think that all the comps and all the market data was reliant on 10 people buying things. And yeah, obviously, that that's not, yeah, that's not very healthy. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that became that that obviously became uh, an issue. Um, something I didn't go into, which I still feel good about is is the iPhones. Um, you know, what's very interesting is, you know, there's some people in the hobby who are concerned about, you know, that that are we really looking at the items or are we just is it just about the seal is everything all about the seal now and i know there are there are now sealing experts you know because the integrity of whether it's real is based on you know all these types of seals and with the iphone i spoke to three or four people at apple who were there for more than 20 years and were certainly there during the iphone and just came to the conclusion that this the simple seal on the on the original iPhone uh, can be easily replicated. Um, you know, you could easily put a weight in it, and uh, and so I didn't believe in it. But it's been interesting to see the sixty, fifty, forty, thirty thousand dollar prices recently. But it's one of those things where I'd rather invest in a Steve Jobs autograph if I'm interested in Apple than than an iPhone one. Sure, sure, that makes sense. Um, and I, I think one interesting thing uh, when going for like true historically significant events, and I, I think another one of the most underrated things when it comes to the hobby, and obviously you figured this out a lot way earlier than most, is just the power of personal brand in collectibles, not in terms of influence, but in terms of ability to share a story. Because if something is historically significant, if a moment is known by everybody in the world, all you have to do is tell the story. And the memory is there somewhere in their head or in their family or in their friends. Um, it's very different than it creating IP. If I want to create a show and I draw you a character and I'm like, this is Microphone Man, I now need to like, I need to do so much more work. But with collectibles, if I'm buying Lincoln and Washington and some other characters, right, then I can just say Lincoln. And you already... You go, you go right back to like history class, every Lincoln story you know, and that is the power of pre-existing brands and the collectibles that tie to it. But you can only tap into that with personal brand and the access to tell the story, which is something I definitely learned heavily from you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you have to be able to tell the story, but you also have to be able to tell the story in the right way. 
Um, I'll give you a couple examples. You know, uh, maybe six years ago, I was at the National, and a guy had a stack of checks, and he's like, yeah, they're all $50. Uh, and they were Bart Giamatti checks, whose signature alone is probably $10. The former commissioner of Major League Baseball, under Pete Rose, died of a heart attack. You know, uh, Also, Paul Giamatti's father. Father. Yeah, Paul Giamatti's father. Yeah, I often don't do that. Um, and, uh, and I was rolling through the whole bunch, and, and all of a sudden it said, uh, Chicago Cubs, 50 bucks. And then it said in the memo, Peter Uberoff's tickets, uh, 8-8-88 game. Now, I know that 8888 is the Cubs' first night game, or intended to be the first night game for the Cubs. Uh, it was actually a rainout and became 8988. Uh, but um, all of a sudden, that is not $50 anymore. It's the former commissioner's tickets to the Wrigley night game. And so, as part of creating value, creating value through a story, before me, there were not many people who, who collected checks with stories. And, you know, I kind of said, well, the, it's more valuable if you have Walt Disney paying for his 1962 taxes versus Walt Disney saying Merry Christmas to someone. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I collected 100 checks that way. Um, I am going to uh, get something right now, and I'm going to ask you, before if you would buy it and then i'm going to try to convince you to buy it now i'm not going to sell it to you but i just want your head to go there and you're based on the story you're going to tell me if you think my story is good enough that you would then buy it if i were to sell it so let me let me let me try to get you know i'm always honest with you so this is the process of telling you how important a story is here is the item It is a check from the United States Olympic Committee, Olympic House, to the District Court of Puerto Rico, and it's made out in December of 1979. It is not signed by anyone famous. It has the Olympic rings. Alone, this is maybe a $15 check. This is actually... actually, uh, worth north of $1,000 because of the story. And here is the story. On the other side of the check, since it's full, what does it say? It's a fine for Coach Bobby Knight. Wow. Now, now you have to find out what the fine is, which was not difficult because somehow the item, which was in an auction, and did a horrible job of describing it, came with the letter. (laughs) Okay, now let me read you the letter. This is addressed to Senor Jorge Laura Longoria. Dear Senor Longoria, enclosed herewith, please find our check in the amount of $500 to pay the district court of Puerto Rico, the fine leave it against coach Bobby Knight we would appreciate your assistance in delivering the check to the proper authority. Regards, F. Don Miller. Now, Mr. Longoria, I don't know why this check was never delivered. It's kind of cool that it was never delivered. There's no stamp on it. There's nothing on the back. It was not, it was never entered into the, and then you go, okay, September 5th, 1979. And then you back out and you start looking through newspapers.com and other things. 
and you find out that Bobby Knight took the United States Olympic uh, team basketball. Uh, this is pre-Jordan, obviously in 79, to Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, Bobby Knight, the fiery coach, got angry at something and punched a police officer. They had threatened to keep him in Puerto Rico, at which point, at some point, there was a negotiation that the U.S. Olympic Committee would pay $500 to allow him to leave the country. And that is what this is. <laughs> wow. That is an insane find. <laughs> so so now now listen i mean that just goes to show you like again like alone there is not even ernest s gink signed this and it's 500 dollars. it's the district court of puerto rico and alone it is nothing but then you get the letter you do the research and it's an insane story about bobby knight punching a police officer like had a in a in a in well it's in puerto rico so it's not a foreign country but still uh how crazy is that and and well yeah it's, so it's, i, I it's bought that story as well that's, that's so much of and, it. Then, and then you and then now i own the rights to tell the story which 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 is also i think something that i've also told taught you hopefully is that things are worth buying things just for the right to tell the story and it's the same same way with when i bought the charles solomon check from um, October 28th, 1929. You I've know, seen so that. Charles, right. So Charles, Charles Solomon, uh, Al Capone guy, you know, a mo Jewish mobster runs uh, a, a lot in Boston. The fact that he he is taking out a massive amount of money from a bank the day before the ultimate Wall Street crash of 1929, which resulted in, because they didn't have FDIC at the time, runs on banks that close banks, is the great, I mean, it's like, it's like the mobster knew. He knew it was going down, and he took the cash out of the bank. And, and it's so uh, crazy I that sold, that check survived. And I, and I sold it to Rick Probstein at 10 times what I paid for it, and I told him I sold it at 10 times what I paid for it, because he had to have it. Um, but I sold it based on the story because there are plenty of Charles Solomon checks. So that's what I'm talking about, you know, on, on the story, the story creating value. I want to give you one more, uh, yeah. about the story. So this ticket, uh, really, um, would not generate any kind of, without the story, this ticket is okay. You see what okay, it is? The 1977 Yankees Mets, July 13th, sixth inning blackout. I think it's Mets Cubs, right? Oh, it says New York. Got it. Got it. Yeah, okay, Mets Cubs. It's, it's Mets Cubs seven. Okay. Do you know about the New York, the blackout in 77? Tell us about the blackout in 77. The blackout in 77 is often credited with the beginning of hip hop. Now, let me put this in a nice way. In 1977, uh, the scene with hip hop was, it was coming up. It was much in the way of the 
1920s and African-Americans and the rise of jazz. African-Americans kind of controlled this. Now, unlike jazz, where it involved singing, getting something that could be gotten for the tools of the trade, a trombone, a piano, things were around. The guys who were doing hip hop couldn't exactly afford the turntables. So when the lights went out and there were no alarms in stores, let's just say the guys who needed to get the turntables got the turntable. <laughs> and that was the real beginning of hip hop. And that was the night that the game was suspended in the sixth inning. And this is the ticket in New York. Wow. That's amazing. That's a great story. That's... Now, 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 now. Let's, What's the let's... population count on that? Probably one. Now, here's the deal. Insane. I wasn't the original teller of the story. Simeon Lipman, who is a guy who I talk to as much as you, uh, who is on Antique Roadshow and has been, you know, my friend for a very long time in the hobby, and we, we also have similar interests he told me that story so I would buy it at a value that is way beyond what he bought it at. And I bought that so now I can own the story to tell it to you. It's, it's a great story. And that's like, that's the real, that's what makes collectibles so fun. It's not about the item, it's not about the money. Those things happen, they don't happen, whatever. But it's the ability to share something that nobody else has the upside in sharing. Therefore, nobody else will share that story. And if they do share that story, it just benefits you. You own the equity in the story, essentially. Well, it was my, it was my mailman, and I figured we would open up what I got today. How, how's Let's that? Go for it. Okay. I've been slowing down my purchases recently, but so let's see what this is. Oh, this is very good. Okay, so um, my favorite race of all time is the 1972 800-meter uh, race um, for the gold medal. I think you've seen it before, uh, okay. where a guy named Dave Waddle, who is known as is known as a guy who is a late closer and runs, um, he did it in the semifinals, runs much slow. He, allow, he, he basically marches to the beat of his own pace. And he has the talent of knowing exactly how fast he has to run to still win. That's always been his thing. He's one of three or four guys to beat Steve Prefontaine on Oregon soil. And uh, in 1972... Um, he, uh, qualified in the 800. He also tried to qualify for the mile, but he qualified for the 800 for the U S team, uh, got hurt, uh, stopped practicing, stopped running, had his honeymoon in Europe and rolled it into the Olympic games. So <laughs> they start the, the 800 and I think it's Marty LaCorey, who's a runner and announcer. He's the. It's Jim, it's, it's Jim McKay as the announcer and Marty LaCorey. And Waddle is so far behind the other guys that Marty LaCorey, who is one of the best 
runners out there. So this guy is very qualified to tell you what's going on. Waddle is almost out of the TV screen, and he says, I don't know if Dave is hurt. We'll have to find out. Okay, so a guy who's very qualified telling you that it is going so badly that it is, he's hurt. Uh, and it's two laps around the track. And Dave Waddle, who had gone, it was so badly that he was going to get hurt, um, comes back and within the last three seconds passes three guys, including uh, the Russian, Arjanov, who I believe had never lost at that distance, <laughs> and wins the gold medal. So good. Uh, so I have four tickets to that race. One that I got uh, signed by Waddle. And um, you just got the the signed waddle. I got. I got. No. I. I sent. I. I contacted his. This is also the joys of collecting. Contacted his son on Twitter. How do I get this to your father? He sent me the Dave Waddle's address, um, and I said, "Please sign these items. Uh, I think you ran the greatest race in history." Handwritten note, um, and please accept my hundred dollar bill to go out to dinner with your wife on me. Uh, I had always heard he signed everything for free or nominal money. And I just wanted to, you know, thank him for the race that I so enjoy. And it was ridiculous. He sent back everything. And then another note saying, you know, I'm so thankful. I've never received something like this. I mean, it's a hundred dollars, you know, that's so crazy. And yeah, he no because it you know it, it just so anyway I had never found the program, um, and uh, on uh, on eBay I found the program. Oh, so this is the so program cool. from that game day, uh, September second, nineteen seventy two, um, and and in it it you know everything is typewritten and uh, I'm That's trying so to fun. see. That's a great story too, especially the part with him. And now again, you you know you're able to share it, and I think that's that's. Like and, then, and, and, and then and 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 then the freak that I am said, you know, uh, you know, can can we talk about? So he won it in a hat. They now don't allow you to wear like he wore it in like a golf cap. I mean, it wasn't a sponsor. You know, they don't allow you to run in a cap anymore. He actually his accomplishment was. Uh, after he did this, after he won, imagine if you win the gold medal, and then he was criticized for not really realizing he had a hat on, and during the uh, ceremony when they played the uh, U.S. National Anthem, he had his hat on, on the medal stand, and got criticized. Blasted! Blasted! Okay? That's very nice. So, and I asked him, and I, yeah, remember 1968 was, was uh, you know, Black Power Salute in Mexico. So I asked him if he still had the hat. He said, you know, I think it's donated. So I, I'm now trying to get that hat. So, all right, one more piece of mail. Let's see what this other piece of mail is. Darren, if you could have any ticket from any world event that doesn't exist, which one would you want to have? Any world event that doesn't exist? Correct. Ever. I mean, in world history. Um, that is such a tough question. I mean, my favorite sporting event is the Secretariat's running in the Belmont, so, and that exists, and I got it. Um, <laughs> what, what, what is my favorite, like, historic? Oh, um, 
So I've been looking for a long time for I'm I'm, I'm my my one of my favorite things in history is the Nuremberg trials when the Nazis got got tried. Um, I did a uh, I did a piece in college where uh, I interviewed the architect of the courtroom, uh, Daniel Kiley, who was 93 years old at the time. Wow. Uh, it was one of it was one of the best fu things I've ever done with a teacher because. Uh, at the end, it says, you know, on my index, on my glossary or what, on, on the back uh, appendix, uh, it had one footnote and it said interview with Daniel Kiley, architect of, you know, I mean, there's no way you're not getting an A. I heard that 20 years later, the professor still remembers the paper, um, but it was ba- it was basically how they how they they realized originally they wanted to have it in an opera house because this is the Americans putting on a show that the Nazis, you know, it, it was it was just as much about the sentencing as the showing. So originally they didn't build the, where, where the Nazis um, sat. They originally didn't put uh, backings on the chair because they wanted them to lean forward in pain and make them wow. hunch over. So all these little things happen. So that's the I, I, guy to talk to. Yeah. So so uh, yeah, they bought a rug for a million dollars in 1945. I mean, it's pretty amazing. The rug and how every, everything looked. All the guards were exactly six foot two and a half, so that they all lined up. If you look at the helmets in the back, they're they're exactly the same. Holy height. cow! The level so, of yeah, detail—that's incredible. Yeah, a lot of the detail. Yeah, so it looks amazing if you look at these pictures. Anyway, I have always looked for a Nuremberg ticket where something they're stamped what session they are, and you I've always looked first for, or last. No, I want. No, I, I mean, I wanted when something happened that was substantive. I still really haven't found it. There is a cool one out there, and it's been signed a couple times. Mo Berg, the catcher who was a spy. Uh, he attended the Nuremberg trials and there's some tickets that have been signed by him, but like, I'm still looking for something there. Um, but yeah, no, it's a list that, that, that's, that's the fun thing. What, what is imagine this? Some that I can think of off the top of my head. Imagine a ticket to a, an original Shakespeare play or imagine that, 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 that is, that would be a great one. That or imagine to the Roman Colosseum. I know they didn't have tickets. What they used was like glass shards back in the day. But that that, uh, that would be amazing. That those that are two. Good. Those are those are two events. Obviously. Um, or how, how about how about how I, I hate to make it macabre, but how about uh, Marie Antoinette's guillotine? <laughs> A guillotine ticket would be crazy. Would be <laughs> I bet they exist. So There've got to be yes. some guillotine or execution tickets. That is crazy, though. Obviously, both of us want a Titanic ticket. That yes, you know, we do. We do. Is, is we very do. much in question on whether it like what exists and how credible. But I'm fine with 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 leaving the dock. You know, like that one leaving the dock. You know, not not actually taking off, but leaving the dock from uh, Belfast which was not where it left from, right? Like Belfast was where it was made or Southampton. I can't remember. I can't remember, right? But, but, but leaving the dock from, to, to go, not, not to go on the trip, but to actually, it was built and then, you know, leaving the dock. So my, my second one is not like anything great. I just, you know, uh, I've just been collecting things that are cheap and look kind of cool. And I've been doing a lot of concert stuff. So I got, uh, this is just a nice, you know, you can see the full Bruce Springsteen name from 1980 nice. and Nassau Coliseum. Nothing, nothing big or, or crazy. 
Um, Anything with a story is is cool to me, especially when you look at the populations compared to a lot of other collectibles. I mean, that's one of my favorite sure. about a, a lot of different, you know, assets. And, and that's it. That, you know, that's that's very interesting now because. Um, you know, Beckett, one of their ways to try to be, beat out PSA is to have more on the slab for a ticket. And uh, it's very interesting because, you know, you and I, I think, were the same with gifts and you gave me a gift in, in, in the beginning. Um, I like to give gift tickets as gifts. The problem is that sometimes if you don't write enough of the story, it becomes less cool. So... Uh, I'm friends with Chris Collins, who's the coach of the Northwestern basketball team. And I've gotten to know Doug Collins, his father, who, of course, coached Michael Jordan in his first couple years at the Bulls. And um, I just found this for two bucks on on uh, eBay. And because of I wanted to try out Beckett. And so here's the ticket right here. Now, this is a preseason game at Illinois State University. And it's Doug Collins' rookie year with the 76ers, okay? The ability to tell the story on the ticket with PSA is not really there, which means that this is not a great gift, right? I could tell you the story, but then I have to rely on them telling the story. Sure. Okay? Now read this. Rookie Doug Collins returns to his alma mater, Illinois State, and gets a two-minute standing ovation. There you go. Okay, so the, so 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 then now yeah, now $2, you two dollar plus grading cost gift value is significantly higher than what you put yes. in in terms of the value to the right person that you gifted. Yes, to. makes perfect sense. Correct. Yeah. So 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 that's that's I guess we're talking about like the stories and how things go on and 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 why things are valuable or why and i think that that's also something the ability to translate the story and that person to play the game of telephone gifting collectibles is the most underrated thing on the planet you know this a few other people know this but like Pat, patrick ryan is my father in the i'm older than him so i'm not not really uh <laughs> but he, he 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 he's my father in the spending money on gifts and giving gifts that you know like i mean he he would always say to me like i have this massive account right like millions and millions of dollars and i got this this you know 500 dollars appropriate gift perfect for the person and uh and it's worth every it's like being worth a million dollars like you know when jj watt who's a close friend retired um, I got him every single card that he that he um, he had during his playing career. Uh, every single base card, which is like 320 base cards, that's you know. Very, and with, that's a very thoughtful gift. And with Com C, you can do it right. Like you don't have to. It's it. You know, I had to do a couple things on eBay, but like again, the with memorabilia, the cost to real value ratio is so skewed that it always falls and if if you're if you know the person and you give something that's great it always skews the value to the gift giver and then if you also have a brand to help tell that story then it's just fuel on the fire and it adds so much uh like emotional or sentimental value because it's like oh darren revel like went and spent time and found this item and then told me the story and now i have it 
right? Right. That's like right. there's sure. there's so much there, but it's really about the time and thought. And, you know, because a lot of these items are one of one, like you're just not going to find multiple of like the stuff that we like to gift. Right. Um, it's just uh, it's it's very special. And I think, uh, you know, it's something that I if if we all get better at gifting every year, it's a really good it's a really sure. good quality. I'm definitely trying to improve that every day. Um, but uh, yeah, I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about your company quickly. Um, how are how are things going and where what? What should people know about what you're working on? So I'm always doing the memorabilia. I'm doing the action network and gambling. Uh, and then I'm doing my food and beverage VC, uh, Tastemaker Capital. Um, and then I'm, I'm running a, a cocktail company. Um, and uh, had, no, had no intention of, of getting into canned cocktails. Um, but I just saw an opportunity. And what's what's interesting to me is that, um, you know, you have to figure out what what is the rule of business like people fail at business often because they don't understand what the rule what the rules are. Um, and so, you know, the rule is not to make a great canned cocktail. That's a prerequisite. The rule is to figure out, like, how all this works. And, you know, originally I was going to go in and kickstand cocktails is the name and, and, and it's the chief differentiator is spice. So it's different. But originally I would say, okay, it's spicy. So let's go into California, Arizona, Texas, and Miami. Well, then you realize that you're starting a company that is 3000 miles across. And if you have marketing, you're going to have to have five, let's say you have low, oh, we're going to do this cool car. Well, you have to have five cars then. There's no, there's no, so then you're saying, okay, well, let me then build some sort of triangle to make it close. So let's do Ohio, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, whatever. Uh, that also wasn't the rule. Um, you know, so it took me six months to figure out what was the number one key to success. It's not an amazing cocktail. That's a prerequisite. Uh, the number one way to be successful is to make sure you have distributors who care about you, which is a problem because these are legacy family-owned businesses who will try to distribute high noon forever. And if you're an upstart, it doesn't pay to pay attention to the small guys until you find something like a beer distributor who is distributing 97% beer and is big uh, and wants to get more into canned cocktails, so they have something that they're going for, whatever it is. Um, so how do you, you have that equation? You, you, you have to find the people. You have to get it in the hands of people who would be interested in you. You have to get it in the hands of people who, of companies that have managers of innovation. The companies have to believe that they, no matter how big they are, can grow with a great brand and that they could own that brand with you and take you across the country if you are great. And that's the rule of business. So, you know, I've been open-minded throughout um, and it's been an amazing experience. Perhaps the most amazing experience was going into Ohio where uh, Indians own package stores significant number of them that have a tremendous amount of liquor in it and Indians don't drink. 
Hey, so I go. Brother, in, definitely so, responsible. So I go into the stores and I say, try my product. And they say, I don't drink. And I said, well, who runs the inventory in here? And they said, I do. <laughs> and after the first time this happened, I had to go outside and let out some steam. And I think I probably even said to the person I was with, now let me get this straight, okay? You wake up every morning and you are looking at and selling something you don't personally know what it is. Even if you believe in my brand, someone walks in and says, what does it taste like? And in these package stores, often the owner is the person behind the, the de they're the only person there. Sure. So, and the guy says, are you on beerrate.com? And it's like, so these are the things that you build a cocktail, you build a business. You're like, I'm going to build the best cocktail. And it's like in this, in these, this pocket of Ohio. Beer it doesn't matter that you build the best cocktail. Right. It's like, you, you, right. Like, so what, so I would say anyone who's starting a business, don't, don't say like, uh, uh, this is, this is my key to success. Often you don't know what your key is. And I still don't know. Cause I'm not successful at it yet. I think I know, I think I know, but it took six months to figure out what were the rules to get to success. And it had nothing to do with the demographic, go where the demo is of people go where it had nothing to do with that. It has to do with if you don't have people who are showing up to actually distribute your product, who are interested in you, then you don't have a chance. Have you found um, any success? It makes sense. And the beerate.com thing is hilarious. And that story is hilarious. <laughs> <But have> <laughs> yeah, I just love that, that concept. The nuances of it are just so much fun. Like when you dive into any new business or category and just understanding how, you know, because there are so many things you can really only learn by doing and that's just like well, let me give you one let me give you one more because this is okay. as much a business this is as much a business show as it is you know everything that else you talk about okay so direct to consumer so in alcohol direct to consumer is difficult uh the expectations of people are uh the shipping cost is is vast as with liquid um, and as an upstart, you kind of want to give people free shipping. But the way it works with how you have to be licensed in some state and not other states and then trying to give them free shipping, where you're, where you're housing your stuff could be the difference between you losing money on a sale and making money on a sale. You have to know where you're coming from, what, wh what system you're doing, uh, how much the consumer expects to get in in shipping or pay for their total cost, right? I always say Bed Bath and Beyond died because they were. This is kind of a joke, but not really. They for 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 fifteen years they gave you twenty percent off coupons, which is genius because I my wife said, ah, I'd use the twenty percent off coupons. I go, that's great. It was twenty percent off what? She's like, well, I don't know. I'm like. Okay, they raise the price 20%. Like you're, you're so happy about 20% off, like off what? Uh, but, but then I think the standard became 30% and 40% and they kept it at 20%. That's one of the reasons they died in my opinion. But like, what does the consumer expect? And, and you know, do they expect 
free shipping and it, it's th- this is this is why it's it's kind of so fun to do things like this buy but one invo- get one free but we charge you 200 <laughs> percent. right that's right or different 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 combinations of things right you get a free t-shirt you get a free hat you know uh liquid death has been doing an amazing job they just did a what like a free a basketball that looks like a severed head yeah um, we just did a we just did a campaign with them for uh, amazing yeah, yeah that commercial amazing. was really good. Yeah, really good. Um, and then some of the other businesses. Obviously, we did a podcast last time you were on with uh, Adam Goldberg, who's the uh, chief bagler at Papa Bagels. <laughs> and uh, that business has been pretty cool. You're wearing your Mets uh, outfit. They're going to be at every game at yep. City Field, every event and every game with pizza bagels, which I had for the first time last weekend. And it will get me to the ballpark this year. <laughs> Uh, they were that well, we, I mean, we, 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 we both, we both invested without seeing like a whole plan. I invested more with tastemaker capital after, but like, you know, something about businesses sometimes, um, you know, there's a bunch of people who didn't invest with me cause they want a surety and there's never really a surety at these things. But like, sometimes it's just, if something's the best you ever had, you, you, you should put a little money into it. And, and for bagels, you know, um, I, I I like to say that before I had pop-up bagel, a bagel was simply the vessel to put the cream cheese and butter and locks on, and now it is the thing. A vessel. A vessel, yes. A vessel. Uh, a, 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 uh, a go-between, have you, for the, for the, uh, for the, for the real thing. Um, sure. And now the bagel itself is, is the story, and... Uh, you know, as someone who was in Chicago for four years and showed up and saw Einstein's and Brugger bagels, which were essentially breads shaped in spheroids, but were not bagels. Uh, you know, to see the atrocity of even in a major city like Chicago of what they think a bagel is coming from, you know, the mecca of bagels, New York, Long Island, have the greatest credibility in the world. Um, you know, it was, it was amazing. And to, so, so then to then surpass my expectations, that was worthy of an investment. I mean, I, I remember you called me and you're like, you got to try these bagels. They're, <laughs> they're in my hometown of Connecticut, you know, to start, which is a crazy coincidence because it's a 25,000 person town or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I had the bagels. And I was like, all right, whatever. But correct, correct me. I'm, I'm curious what your standpoint is, because I sort of think about everything the way that I think about collectibles, whereas it adds value to your brand and your brand is everything. And if you if you buy a SpongeBob or a Lincoln or, a you know, ticket to a fair or whatever it is that holds significance and then that's now part of your brand that raises value. I think about investments no differently. And in, in, in many cases, the investment uh, in a bagel company or in a basketball company or whatever it is, raises the value of your brand, both from a like an expertise of you know standpoint, just because when anybody has any money invested in something, they're naturally going to learn more about it. And that information is often more valuable than the return on capital in the first place, just from what I've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, um, the, pro- the, pro- the problem is, you know, much like commercials, right? Like they, they long said that Jordan was doing too many commercials or Shaq was doing too many commercials. And it's like, there is attrition if you're uh, uh, throwing an arrow and hoping it lands, right? So what is Kevin Durant's 
uh, brand in investing? I, I, I would say I have no idea because he's invested in 500 companies, you know, so he's done I, well I, with a few, though. He has done well with through as would anyone, um, sure. you know, I mean, so 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 I, I, I think that, you know, you have to you have to be really specific on what you want to invest in. Uh, one, to continue your brand and to be an added value partner to the insiders as well. Uh, not sure. just, you know, but on the outside, you know, what do you go after? I like to go after things that are, you know, contrarian, right? I mean, non-alcoholic beer will be my most famous one, perhaps, you know, where people are like, well, why, why would people don't like to taste the beer? Why would anyone like a non-alcoholic beer? And I and, try uh, that because I don't drink alcohol. So right, right, and 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 it turns out that eighty three percent of people who are buying athletic brewing also drink alcohol. Uh, wow. it, and 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 so that's where the value is. It's you're forty four years old. You're watching an NFL game. It's halftime. You had two regular fully loaded beers. Again, it's Sunday at four o'clock. You have three kids. Are you going to continue to try to get home uh, and, 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 and be nailed and have another four or five beers? Or are you sitting at the bar and, you know, it's good enough and you're going to start to wind down while drinking something that tastes like a beer? And there's your answer. No, it makes so much sense. And then I think the other point, you know, obviously is like how much can you directly benefit the company? Like your expertise, you know what you know, how do you benefit your personal brand, your uh, relationships, the million different things, ways that you can actually benefit the company and it benefits you. That's just, that's why I love that world so much. And I don't think it's any different than collectibles. You're just collecting companies. It's, it's, it's also, you know, just with an arbitrage type head, um, you know, that it's not net. So, so when I've advised companies, and I have a company now that I'm an advisor and an investor of, and uh, the, they came to me and said, we're interested in selling a piece of our business. And uh, they had already gone to a couple uh, of the obvious ones uh, who are in their sector to sell to. And I found them a partner, and it's not done, but they, they are among the most interested, who is not a natural fit, but that they are being compromised by the market that these guys provide. So every day when they have conversations in their business, this particular, what these guys do, compromises their own business. So the idea that they could then own a vehicle that takes away them being uncomfortable about, you know, the elephant in the room, which is, we can sell all this stuff, but there's something here that compromises it. They can now own that. And so I think when people are talking about sales and, and as an advisor, what I've learned is often it's not selling to a like company. It's selling to a company that, that is within the sector, but doesn't have anything like it. And that, and their business, because they don't have anything like it is is in some way hurt, um, they will also potentially give you the largest multiple. Sure, that makes sense. That makes sense. I love it. Well, cool. Uh, happy recording this on opening day. So happy opening day 
Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting baseball season with everything, and uh, can't wait for more historic events this year, and we'll probably run this back in 2024. So I will see you every day in between then, but for everybody else, we will see you together probably in 2024. Darren, thank you so much for doing this again, man. Always a pleasure. I'll talk to you today or tomorrow off the air. Wouldn't it be great if we recorded all our phone calls? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.